1: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Nanostruck Technologies, Caden Resources, Brazil Resources, and Metanor Resources. You would like to remind you that I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and uh, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, with regard to Chen's letter, you do need to place your name on a waiting list. Uh, Chen does not uh, accept new subscribers except during the first 10 business days of each quarter, so uh, beginning April uh, will be the first time that he accepts new Uh, new subscribers, but it's important that you put your name on a waiting list if you're interested in going, uh, signing up for Chen, because he takes a certain number of new subscribers, but in the order that they sign, uh, put their name on a waiting list, so it's a first-come, 1st serve basis. Now, Chen has had a very successful track record. Uh, He uh, is a very unique investor. He has ideas that I've never, well, I I think he's very unique in that he's able to sort of go from one sector to another. He's able to sort of ferret out the sectors that are going to be hot uh, next, and his latest success has come in the ethanol space, where he's done very well by making some key ethanol uh, company picks that have done extremely well. But he's done very well other times in very diverse market sectors, for example, paper pulp. Uh, he did very well with Farmer Mac when Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae were going down the tubes. Uh, Farmer Mac's share price went down as well, but... Farmer Max loans were not being defaulted on, and so Chen recognized an opportunity, did extremely well with that. At times, he's done exceptionally well with oil stocks and gold stocks as well. He is a unique talent, and he offers a lot of ability, I think, that you may want to take advantage of. I spoke to Chen earlier today, and he told me that his two top picks at the moment from a long-term perspective are Pan Orient Energy and Oceana Gold. I do hope to have Chen on the show sometime uh, in the near future to st- to talk again about some of the ideas and some of the themes that he is especially keen on right now. And again, if you want to sign up and put your name on Ch- on the waiting list for Chen, you need to go to miningstocks.com. That's miningstocks, M-I-N-I-N-G-S-T-O-C-K-S.com. You can also sign up for my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, at that same pl- Website address miningstocks.com. And uh, I would say that I have, uh, I'm about as excited about the junior mining space as I've been for a long time. I mean, we've had a couple of really dismal years in this sector, uh, getting hit extremely hard uh, during 2012 and 2013. Uh, We've seen quite a bounce back in the first two months of this year. Uh, My Model portfolio is up 16.31% during the first two months of this year, but if you go to the gold shares, uh, they're up between uh, 36 and 39% uh, during the first two months uh... the first two months of 2013 and uh... they're perhaps uh... they're up and it's just a simple bounce off of an oversold bottom the main question is uh... is the worst over and uh... i remain very agnostic with respect to that issue we um... Uh, Many of the people that I follow, uh, mostly technical analysts, are very convinced that we still have another leg down, perhaps testing the lows in gold and even going below it uh, to 1,000 or so uh, before we bounce back. But those same people, with almost uh, any exception, believe that 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 will be the bottom and that we will be heading on to something much, much bigger, uh, ultimately to much higher highs in gold than we've seen uh, in history so far. Um, I just returned back from the Prospectors and Developers Conference uh, last evening. That was held in Toronto. It is the uh, largest mining show in the world. Uh, every March, it assembles. the Miners from around the world assemble in Toronto. And I uh, also gave a talk uh, in the newsletter forum, uh, along with a lot of other newsletter writers. And my talk was titled, The Greatest Gold Deposit for the Greatest Gold Bull Market in History. And time permitting, I will talk a little bit more about that at the end of today's show. But suffice it to say that the, um, the greatest gold deposit potentially, and I want to underscore the word potentially, uh, that I see could very well be coming from uh, a company called Novel Resources. NVO is a symbol. Trades in Toronto. Uh, I would strongly suggest that those of you who might not have heard my discussion with uh, that company's CEO, Dr. Quinton Henning, might want to go to jtaylormedia.com. listen to the uh, February 18th interview with Dr. Henning. Uh, That was in the second hour of that show. You can go to jtaylormedia.com to listen to Dr. Henning explain why he believes there may be another Witwatersrand deposit. Now, keep in mind that the Witwatersrand, the largest gold deposit ever found, in fact, so much larger than anything else in the world, uh, if you add all of the mining projects together, it doesn't. They, the amount of gold produ- produced from those mines would not uh, equal the amount of the Witzwater Rand, 1.6 billion ounces of gold produced over the years. So is there another one? Quentin Henning gives his reasons for thinking there might be and why he thinks he might have another Witwatersrand. Rand. Well, that remains to be seen, of course. Uh, but I do hope to talk more about it in the last segment uh, if I have time today. Um, I should also like to remind you that the best place to go to uh for all that I do, not only this radio show but everything else, is J Taylor Media. That's J A Y Taylor dot com. You can also follow me on Twitter under the handle J Taylor Media. I would also like to encourage you to keep your questions uh coming to um uh, for Taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. If you have comments, either pro or con, or questions about the content of what you hear on this show, we'd love to hear from you. So please fire away, and uh, perhaps sometimes we can have time to talk about your questions on the show. Well, let's get into today's show. I've uh, titled today's show Depression, Recession, or Brighter Days Ahead. We're going to have Mark uh, Skousen, Dr. Mark Skousen and Gene Epstein return. Uh, Dr. Skousen is a speaker at the next New York City Junto meeting over which Gene Epstein presides. Uh, Dr. Skousen's book uh, titled The Structure of Production proposes an alternative to existing GDP accounting well, why is there a need for alternative national income accounting, and, and what light might it shed on U.S. economic uh, performance? What differences does it make? Uh, how we look at uh, national income accounting, will it make a difference? Will it make a difference how uh, how consumers behave, how the private sector behaves, how government um, policymakers uh, shape their policy decisions? Um, might also ask Dr. Skousen if he agrees with uh, some of the ideas of uh, of John Williams, who's been on the show in terms of inflation accounting, and does he think the GDP numbers accurately reflect uh, growth in the economy? That's another question I may have for him. But we're going to have – Gene Epstein is going to be with me in just a, a, a minute here or two, but he is also going to stick around with me for the second hour and join in, in the discussion. In fact, I've asked Gene to lead the discussion uh, with Dr. Skousen in the second hour since he will be presiding over that discussion at the Junto meeting coming up. Uh, this coming Thursday, as I just noted, gold shares have risen dramatically, and, and whether we are out of the woods or not remains to be seen. That's certainly one of the main questions that I have, uh, and uh, would also suggest that uh, you know we do want to stay focused on some of those names, some of the companies that uh, look like they could perform extremely well. Uh, we have um, a host of them that I've covered in my newsletter, and. Um, Uh, I I will be talking about those. You know, last week uh, I mentioned uh, we have J. Michael Oliver, who has been on this show, and his work is suggesting that whether gold is going up or down, the gold shares look like they are starting to lead the gold bullion uh, and that they are looking stronger than gold bullion. So uh, whichever way uh, the market is going, uh, and it looks like uh, we could be um, looking at something uh, much better for the gold shares, and uh, indeed, as I just mentioned, the gold shares uh, in my portfolio are up uh, between about thirty six and thirty nine percent so far uh, so far this year um, in in terms of uh, today 's equity market we 're looking at uh, shares that have bounced back from uh, from um, uh... where they were uh... yesterday certainly the market was bludgeoned yesterday with the news coming out of the ukraine regarding the ukraine uh, i am expecting to have uh... i'm expecting to have uh, daniel mcadams with me next week to talk about uh... that issue and others uh... but especially the ukraine i did speak with daniel a little bit this morning uh... and um uh, he said it's uh, you know, very interesting. Things taking shape uh, over there. Uh, in, maybe we're not hearing all about it. Of course, that's why uh, I would urge you to go to the uh, Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity website. Um, one of the things uh, that we're probably not is not being highlighted in our press is that uh, China, Turkey, and Russia are firmly together on this whole issue of the Ukraine, and that uh, Germany and even the United Kingdom apparently. Uh, is not are not willing to go along with sanctions and to try to kick Russia out of the G eight, which is I think a very very significant uh, issue. Another thing Daniel mentioned was that uh, uh, is uh, another thing that Daniel mentioned uh, is that uh, Putin apparently has said that if we issue sanctions on Russia, that uh, Russia will uh, will cease using the dollar in trade and will uh, will trade only with non. Dollar currencies. Well, I think that could be a very big issue. Uh, But I see that we do have Gene Epstein with me. Uh, Welcome, Gene. How are you doing? Very good to have you, Gene. Now, I know uh, I've told our our folks, our listeners, that uh, about the Junto meeting, Uh, we're Mm -hmm. going to be uh, meeting again uh, at uh, 20 West 44th Street at the General Society Library, Mm -hmm. as we do every first Thursday of every month. Uh, Mm -hmm. You preside over that meeting, and uh, you are going to, our guest is going to be Dr. Mark Skousen, who's going to be with us as soon as we come back from our first commercial break. Mm -hmm. But could you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about Dr. Skousen, and uh, and perhaps a... what you expect to talk to him about uh, at the Junto, and uh, and maybe that will help us lead into our next segment because we are we're going to be talking to him as well. Sure. Well, um, Mark uh,
3: Skousen is somebody I've known for uh, quite a while. Uh, He is going to be uh, the speaker at uh, Junto this Thursday, and uh, he happens to be a direct descendant of Benjamin Franklin, which is uh, a serendipitous fact since the Junto, which was begun by uh, the hedge fund manager Vic Niederhofer over 30 years ago, is named after the group that Franklin created, Franklin called it Junto uh, Junto, which is Spanish for group, and so uh, the, uh, we Junto whites should certainly uh, be treated to somebody who uh, not only is a direct descendant of Ben Franklin, but who um, has uh, become a sort of amateur expert on Franklin's life and works, and uh, uh, Mark is going to be lecturing about Franklin uh, and the libertarians. As a matter of fact, a, an economist and thinker and historian that Mark and I both revere, Murray Rothbard, was actually rather harsh on Ben Franklin in his uh, magnum opus, Conceived in Liberty. So uh, Mark is going to refute uh, Rothbard's rather unfavorable Portrait of Franklin. So this is going to be a uh, kind of indulgence down memory lane about a, an historical figure that all of us are familiar with. And on top of that, again, I call him Mark because uh, he's got an antic disposition, and, uh, and uh, those who attend the Junto are going to find that out, especially since through much of the talk, Mark is going to be dressed as Ben Franklin.
2: Oh! <laughs> well, a little bit of, uh, of theatrics to go along with the, with the usual intellectual Absolutely. discourse that we have at Junto, and I would tell our listeners, this is a very unique uh, event, it costs nothing, it's free, you can come there and what is also makes it extremely unique, Gene, and you do a great job of presiding over it, mm-hmm. is allowing people to ask questions and mm-hmm. to have a dialogue. So It's not mm-hmm. a one-way street, it's not a guy coming in and dictating to all of us how to think, it's stimulating us to think about what they're saying and then inviting questions, which I think is just a wonderful uh, yes, forum, uh, one, a very rare one, and, and I must say that since you've come on to head it up, Gene, I've really enjoyed it immensely, okay. you've done a wonderful job and I mm-hmm. know that you will. Uh, With Mark Skousen as well.
3: I want to emphasize, yeah, that we do have an unorthodox uh, format. Uh, We go on, uh, we have announcements and and some general discussion. As a matter of fact, this is from 7.30 to 8 o'clock. And as a matter of fact, I am going to bring on for about a 10-minute interval, so maybe we'll go, uh, we'll have Mark come on at about 10 after 8, uh, a uh, financial analyst who's pretty well known on Wall Street named Martin Fritzen. Uh, Fritzen did a book review for me, uh, a review of Charles Gaspino, book on insider trading, and uh, Fritzen, I know, has long felt and has, in fact, uh, managed to convince me, although I was already inclined toward the argument, that there really should be no laws against insider trading. However much we might at times disapprove of it on ethical grounds, it should not be a matter of law uh, because, really, it's another victimless crime. And uh, um, I'm going to be throwing on the screen some of the statements that uh, Fritzen wrote in his review. Have him defend them, and then we'll have the usual interaction between the with the audience uh, again when you when you talk about interaction what 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 we what I do is a speaker go, is on for uh, nearly two hours and uh, generally speaking speaks for about 45 50 minutes uh, the rest of the time is a, a dialogue with the audience and uh, y- y- all the speakers are told to uh, to, to, cons- to structure their talk in chapters in 25 20 minute chapters and then we pause for questions and discussion before we go on to the next chapter. I found that that uh, format has worked very well and has really involved the audience. So anybody who wants to come, you can even, uh, you know, I, I don't have a strict rule that said everything must be a question. You can make a statement, you can argue with the speaker. It's generally uh, speaking, the, the, the rules I impose are, are a lot less strict than at the formats where the speaker goes on for 45 minutes and it's only 15 minutes for questions. Um, Junto has a good, got a very different format as I mentioned.
2: And I might add uh, that the people that attend uh, Junto, I think, uh, are, are very bright, very people. They're people that are very interested and in, in, intellectually uh, inclined, and they and they think a lot. They're thinkers that go there. So thinkers are invited, and ideas that are contrary to the speakers are invited, which I think is what makes this really a very, very unique event. And if uh, if Dr. Skousen is going to be dressed as Ben Franklin, we'll have a little, uh, as I say, some, some fun and some theatrics as well. I uh, really look forward to that. But We uh, do have to go to a break right now, and when we come back, I understand Dr. Skousen is with us, and uh, Gene, you'll be returning as well. So, folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Mark Skousen and Gene Epstein. As the bull market in gold resumes, gold shares will explode to much higher levels, and those companies that are ramping up production will take off first. Metanor Resources, a symbol MTO in Canada and MEAOF in the U.S., is now in commercial production and producing over 4,500 ounces of gold per month from its bachelor mine in Quebec. With seven drills turning, I look for the company's gold resource to grow dramatically on both its bachelor and berry projects. I believe Metanor now offers major upside potential for savvy investors.
0: Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. From
3: the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me uh, Dr. Mark Skousen. He's back with us, he's with us uh, at least once before. And Gene Epstein is a regular on this show every Tuesday, the first Tuesday of every month, uh, preceding the first Thursday of every month when the New York City Junto meets. And this month, we've got Dr. Mark Skousen as the uh, as the speaker at New York City Junto. Uh, just for those of you who may not be familiar with uh, Dr. Skousen, I can't imagine there's too many of you out there, but I'm, there may be some. Uh, uh, he has been called a maverick of economics for his contrarian and optimistic views uh, and lord knows we could use some optimism on this show from time to time so it's good to have him for that reason alone dr skousen is is a college professor prof- prolific author and world renowned speaker He's made his unique sense of market and investment trends known and respected in the financial world. And he has a PhD in economics and a focus on the principles of free market capitalism and Austrian economics, which really makes him unique in the economics profession, I must say, these days. Uh, Dr. Skousen has often gone contrary to the crowd. I like that idea. Uh, And his investment choices and economic predictions have very often been proven right. Uh, As a proponent of liberty and political freedom, Mark Skousen is actively involved in some of the most prestigious free market and liberty think tanks in the world. He frequently speaks and writes articles for organizations such as the Cato Institute, the Foundation for Economic Education, the Libertarian Party, the Council for National Policy, and the Mount Pellegrin Society. Uh, He is the producer of Freedom Fest. That's an annual conference held in Las Vegas. Uh, And you can go to freedomfest.com for more information on that. Welcome, Mark, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times.
5: Well, I like your title. Very, very positive in a negative world.
2: In well, a we need a,
5: a, world. I must say,
2: in a what kind of world?
5: A uh, divisive. We're a always divisive. Yes. One of my uh, pet peeves is that they we're constantly demonizing the people we're. Having civil, uh, supposedly civil discussions with, and uh, I hate the left and right and liberal conservative and all of the labeling that goes on, and we really try to discourage it at Freedom Fest and treat everyone as an individual. If we really believe in individualism, then yeah. why don't we treat people as individuals instead of putting them into some category?
3: yeah why don't yeah, we I allow to them say, to be yeah, just, just to contribute a point yeah. uh, Mark is uh, you know an intellectual advisor of mine and uh, he did uh, teach me that uh, when you talk about left wing people call them by the term that uh, that is the most honorable that they prefer call them social democrats I've, I've uh, pled with Mark that every once in a while for shorthand I can't always use that term but I think Mark is right uh, that civility is important um, even With respect to certainly, uh, especially with respect to our intellectual antagonists,
2: yeah, there's no question about
5: it. uh, You mentioned Freedom Fest, Jay, and and yeah, that's a conference where we've actually had some very nice uh, letters after our conference from people who say, you know, I'm not a libertarian, I'm uh, I uh, voted for Obama or what have you, but I was just really pleased with how I was treated fairly respectfully civilly when i had differences of opinion and it caused me to open my mind and listen to what everyone had to say Mm -hmm. so uh we it's difficult you know one thing uh, about the junto i'm doing quite a bit of research for that for my presentation on thursday and franklin made a big point of this of um of not getting, in fact, he he would penalize. People had to pay a fine if they got too heated in their uh, discussion. So uh, Hmm. I thought I'd bring a little... a little can uh, where people would have to put dollar bills in it uh, whenever they get too too feisty in their arguments. Uh, what do you or, think, or, or
3: preferably, preferably hundred dollar bills, Mark. Hundred dollar bills with Ben Franklin on it. Very good point. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, well, very uh, good. As I, as I mentioned, uh, for for much of the talk, uh, Mark is going to be dressed up as Ben Franklin, so he's going to be virtually unrecognizable. Uh, he's uh, he's got an antic disposition, as I mentioned. Uh, uh, and so it should be a very enjoyable evening but I, I want to mention as a participant I, I, I looked up my calendar I, I've been a participant and, uh, and involved in four out of the last five Freedom Fest and I always look forward to it it's kind of a, what I like to do at Junto is, is not only point out that we have a discussion but that people can arrive uh, uh, early as they often do and get to know each other go out for a drink afterwards and get to know each other that way uh, one of the uh, things I love about Freedom Fest is not just it has a, that it has a vast smorgasbord of debates and lectures and so on but uh, that there is so much opportunity uh, to go out for coffee with people I've made two or three uh, lifelong friends actually uh, over the years from having attended uh, Freedom Fest and so it's it, it, so much of what happens at Freedom Fest is totally beyond Mark's control as I told him all the young people are usually staying up till four in the morning at the local bar It up in their own way. We older folks are having coffee and getting to know each other. It's a vast. It's it's really a a vast social occasion, uh, and and not just an intellectual occasion as well.
5: And Gene, I would add to that that uh, it's not really my conference anymore. Mm -hmm. It's kind of our conference, if you will, Mm -hmm. and. Uh, we have one thing we do that's very different than other conferences is speakers uh, have to wait to be invited to speak. Ours is an open forum, and we frequently we encourage people to contact us and say, hey, I've written a book, hey, I'm a professor, or I have this or that idea, I have this company that's very successful and we will entertain the possibility of having them speak. So that's that open forum idea suggests you're right. I mean, I have in many ways lost control. We tell people, what do you want to speak on? Uh, what do you want your session on? And I help them to make it provocative because there's 10 breakout sessions going on simultaneously. So... There's a lot mm-hmm. of choice and competition, and and you know it's like everybody feeling some part of the elephant. Everybody's seeing something a little different. You create your own conference at Freedom Fest, and we have a we have a theme every year. Last year was "Are We Rome." This year is Big Brother, and um, we just have a great lineup of uh, speakers. Stossel is coming back and taping his show like he did last year. Uh, Steve. Forbes and John Mackey of Whole Foods Markets are our co-ambassadors. We're going to have over 150 people there. We have a lot of new speakers uh in science and technology, in philosophy and history. Uh we have Ken Elzinga from University of Virginia who has taught more students free market economics than any other professor, over 50,000. Uh we have David Brin, the science fiction writer and futurist. Uh uh, we have uh, Radley Balko, I think that's how you pronounce his name, who's written this book called "The Rise of the Warrior Cop" about the SWAT teams and and that sort of thing. Uh, we we really have we have H. W. Brands, the historian, who's written a book on F. D. R. and is working on a book on Reagan. So his topic is FDR versus Reagan, whose ideas will dominate the new century. And mm. right now, I think we've had a little bit of, of both. So mm-hmm. that just gives you a smattering of uh, the ideas. Uh, one of the things we're doing this year that nobody has done before is uh, a, a big four panel. Can free market think tanks make a difference? Are they really changing the world or are we just spending our spinning our wheels? So we have... Senator Jim DeMint of Heritage, John Allison of Cato, David Knott of Reason, and Grover Norquist from Americans for Tax Reform. the big, mm. All the big four in Washington, D.C., coming and debating if they can make any difference. And then, of course, we have a financial conference. We have uh, Gene Epstein who's always causing trouble at Freedom Fest
3: um, and I am to do really this, uh, a lot of this fun. Is upcoming coming Freedom Fest as well and uh, I should also say that I, I think that at every Freedom Fest uh, Mark Skousen uh, gets into the ring as well I know that he debated David Friedman a couple of years ago on anarchism uh, David was uh, for anarchism and Mark was against and uh, I also know that he had a, a pretty intense debate uh, the, just last year about Ayn Rand. And uh, one of the frustrations is that you can't attend every event, but you can buy uh, DVD, uh, CDs and, and DVDs of some of the events you missed. And I had missed uh, Mark's debate on Ayn Rand, but I got a chance to listen to it. And uh, I do recommend it to anyone who wants to get to know Mark Skousen even better than I thought I knew him. Uh, he revealed a lot of himself in that debate about Ayn Rand, and it was fascinating Fascinating and riveting.
2: Well, well, let me you. just let me let, let me yeah, just point ahead, out. Hey. Uh, yeah, let let uh, let's tell our listeners again. It's, it's freedomfest.com, mm-hmm. and when is the event, Mark?
5: So it's July 9th through the 12th. We always have it the second week after uh, in July, right after the July 4th, so that people's sense of patriotism and uh, being concerned citizens is is in their minds. And then they come out to Vegas, which is uh, we create an intellectual feast in, a, uh, in the world's greatest uh, entertainment ca- or capital of the world. Uh, so it's July 9th through the 12th. It's at Planet Hollywood. And we take over the entire uh, hotel, uh, the entire exhibit hall, and it's got a great arrangement where people can go back and forth, and you can't help but just meet people constantly. Uh, and we have, uh, autograph books. We have a film festival and our own theater, the Anthem Film Festival, which Jean has been involved in, uh, that my wife, Joanne Skousen, runs, uh, the Anthem Film Festival. So we have first-run documentaries and films. Uh, we will probably be showing the third, the new, uh, uh, Atlas Shrugged, uh, film that will right. be premiering at Freedom Fest, we think. Um, and we're, and, and our big debate this year, we do this mock trial every year, which has a judge and a prosecuting and defending attorney star witnesses and so forth. And we've had capitalism on trial, religion on trial, Wall Street on trial, public unions on trial. And, uh, we've even put the Republican party on trial and then, uh, this year it's going to be American foreign policy on trial. We're pretty close to confirming Charles Krauthammer and, uh, and Dinesh D'Souza will be the uh, defending uh, attorney. Uh, We're trying to arrange for maybe we can get some input from Gene on who would be a good person to be a prosecuting attorney against American foreign policy and the Bush Doctrine and all that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that we can get. But mm Dennis D'Souza has never lost a debate yet at Freedom Fest, so we're hoping we need to get somebody really good who's libertarian, who's against. All of these never-ending wars overseas uh, that promotes Big Brother and NSA and and all that sort of thing. So it's, very good. It's, it's well, it's going to be a doctor- lot of fun, Jay.
2: Yeah, Doctor Skousen, it sounds like a blast. It really does. Unfortunately, we don't have unlimited amount of time. I really, I, I, I'm excited about this, and I hope I can get to it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. But I, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about one of your ideas, uh, Doctor Skousen, and that has to do with gross output. And I'm going to let, uh, since Gene is is much uh, better informed about this topic than I am, I'm going to let him take it away and and uh, and interview a little you a little bit on this topic of of uh, GDP or national income accounting that you have. Go
3: ahead, uh, Let me Jane. start, Mark, by uh, quoting uh, from your very good uh, essay that you posted on Forbes.com about gross output. Uh, a little bit in media's race but it's really uh, the key in my view you quote the New York Times as having recently reported consumer spending makes up more than 70% of the economy and it usually drives growth during economic recoveries Uh, you quote the Wall Street Journal as well Uh, the housing bust has chilled consumer spending the largest single driver of the U.S. economy Uh, why don't you comment on on those statements from the standpoint of your new measure of gross output?
5: Yeah, uh, I think the origin of my desire to have a better indicator of what is the economy, what does constitute economic activity, came from these statements that you find regularly in the media that consumer spending and uh drives the economy because it's the biggest sector of the economy. And then uh, government is the second biggest sector. Uh, so if consumers won't spend, government needs to intervene and spend and stimulate the economy. And last but not least, business investment is a poor third. Now, all of this is based on GDP statistics, uh, and, and they're absolutely accurate. 70% of GDP is, is, is consumption. And government spending is second uh, with around 20% of the of GDP. And then the remaining 13% uh, is uh, constitutes the business investment sector. And then is, there's a minus 3% because we import more than we export. So that adds up to 100%. The problem is that GDP measures final spending in the economy only. It's what retailers buy and does not include any of the stages of production, the earlier stages of production that are required to produce these products. And there's a lot of activity going on there, so I said, how can we measure this? So I wrote a book called The Structure of Production, which came out in 1990, and in it I made the case that we need to have a measure of spending at all stages of production and not just the final stage and that's basically what gross output does and i've been uh encouraging the government the federal government that puts out the quarterly statistics for gdp to come out with the statistic that measures spending at all stages of production known as gross output and alas uh i got an email a few months ago that uh The Bureau of Economic Analysis, the BEA, is indeed, starting on April 25th, Friday, is going to be coming out with a quarterly gross output statistic, which is about double the size of GDP and is two to three times more volatile. And when you look at gross output, in other words, when you look at spending at all stages of production, everything goes in reverse. Business spending is the biggest sector, hmm. followed by consumer spending, which government spending uh, or business spending is over 50% of the economy. Consumer spending is about 30% of the economy, and then government uh, falls down in third. So it's, it's totally in reverse, and it's much more consistent with economic uh, growth statistics we all know that business investment and entrepreneurship and productivity is the key to economic growth not the consumer just willy-nilly spending or government spending so this this gross output statistic is much more consistent with um, with uh, the way the economy really works. And what's also interesting is that gross output is two to three times more volatile than GDP. So just to give you a quick example, in 2008, nominal GDP fell 2%. Hardly a thing, you didn't even hardly notice with GDP statistics that we were in this great recession. But if you look at gross output, it fell over 8%. So that is a much more accurate picture of what really happened during the recession. And, uh, and I'm, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. part of my optimism is that gross output is growing faster now than GDP. So it's a real interesting statistic. If people want to read my article that you mentioned, mm-hmm. if they mm-hmm. just Google gross output, Forbes, Forbes. Mm-hmm. com, mm-hmm. it will pop right up and they'll be able to read it. About 15,000 yes. people have read it so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm attending next week a... Uh, a workshop that the BEA is putting on regarding gross output, and then I'm hoping to write an article for uh, the Wall Street Journal on April 25th uh, and, you know, encouraging Eugene to write yeah. something about yeah. it in Barron's because yeah. gonna, the media needs to be educated to know that consumer spending is the effect, not the cause of prosperity. That's mm-hmm. what well, you know, yeah, law you know, is all even,
3: about. No, I absolutely agree. And uh, I, I, I write a uh, as uh, listeners, I guess, of this show. know, I write a uh, a weekly column called Economic Beat, and uh, of course, it is uh, certainly. The, I, I, actually spoke to uh, years ago. Spoke to uh, Steve Landefeld, who's still the director of BEA, Bureau of Economic Analysis, and he. Uh, and I mentioned this to him years ago, and he was sympathetic. Uh, but obviously, he's got priorities, and it took him quite a while uh, to get around. To doing something that grows out, but um, I, I actually like uh, to point out maybe we 'll explain it in my column as uh, harkening back uh, to one of the textbook lessons that most uh, students are exposed to um, when uh, the textbook uses the example of bread and, and talks about value added that you know the farmer grows wheat and um, then the wheat is sold uh, to the miller who grinds it into flour, and then the flour is sold uh, to the bread maker who uses the flour to make the bread and then the bread maker ships it um, to uh, to stores uh, where it's sold, and all of those uh, stages of production are obviously crucial. Uh, but uh, in a GDP of uh, just a bread economy, it would only be the purchase of the bread at the retail store that would register in, in GDP. We'd we'd essentially forget about all the other stages of production: the farmer, the miller, the, the bread manufacturer, and so on. Um, and we'd have a relatively distorted picture of uh, what goes on, um, and then indeed the new york times and the wall street journal would say well you know bread consumption is what drives the economy you know it's 70 percent of gdp and so on um when all of those other stages of production uh would be left out and uh, uh i know mark has said that uh, he's gotten criticism that uh, obviously counting the farmer and the miller and the bread manufacturer and the retailer um, is double and triple and quadruple counting output but right. uh, that's not the point the point of course is to is to try to put a radioactive isotope into the body of the economy it's you know it's almost like portraying a human being as all he, all he does all he consists of is of his, his hands than all, the, all the other backup organs that run the economy and that are crucial to running the economy and uh, so that's why I think the gross output uh, is uh, in, in that sense a much more realistic portrayal uh, of the economy than gross domestic product is.
5: You know I get the, that, the biggest criticism I get and believe mm-hmm. me I even even have gotten it from economists at the Cato Institute, if you can believe that, mm-hmm. who who actually say, well, this is just double counting and, and what's the point? Mm-hmm. And the point is that even though, it yes, it is double counting and double counting should not count when you're measuring the final product itself, it is important, it's essential, double counting is essential. Imagine having an economy, uh, it's almost like, Maybe should we have an economy where there's one big corporation, uh, one giant corporation uh, called government, That uh, mm-hmm. so there aren't any stages of production that we count? Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, this double counting that goes on is essential. These companies that are in these stages of production have to raise capital to finance not just the uh, uh the net value or the value added or the profits but they have to raise money to pay for all the expenditures all the gross uh, Uh, receipts that are involved in the production process. Mm -hmm. So all we're doing here with gross output is measuring those stages of production Mm -hmm. and we're coming up with statistics and we're discovering a lot about our economy that it's much more volatile in these earlier stages of production. Mm -hmm. So I actually call this a another round of Hayek versus Keynes, mm-hmm. because uh, GDP is really a measure of final effective demand, which Keynes argued was all that mattered, mm-hmm. final demand, while Hayek argued that, no, uh, there's demand at all stages of production, and we need to measure those stages. So uh, mm-hmm. this is uh, kind of a fun... Uh, um, resurrection of the Hayek-Keynes debate updated with new statistics, and I'm just delighted that the government has decided to put them on an equal basis starting in April. So every quarter, the government will announce a gross output statistic, and then they'll announce a gross domestic product or GDP statistic. So it's like Hayek now on the same equal stage with... uh, with uh, Keynes, and we will look at both statistics. One thing that people misunderstanding, I'm not saying gross output replaces GDP. I'm saying it's complementary to mm-hmm. GDP, and you need both. And I've written a free market textbook called Economic Logic, and it's in its fourth edition, published by Capital Press. And I have integrated my gross output statistic um along with uh, GDP, and it works wonderfully, and students get it right away. But uh, I should tell you I've talked to all the textbook writers, and almost all of them are now going to include a section on gross output in addition to GDP. The only exception to that is MANCU. Oh. Who uh, said, No, no, I got to keep things sim- simple. And I said, Well, this couldn't be any simpler. But anyway, it's been a fun ask... uh, discussion and debate uh, to see how people are receiving. This is the first new uh, government statistic on the economy that's come out since GDP got started over 50 years ago.
3: Mark,
2: so this is let, a let real me ask you.
5: Triumph. Of mine, as well as a triumph for Austrian economics, and I hope people can see it that way.
2: Mark, let me ask you this: um, What practical uh, implications would there be as as this data comes out? Will it make a difference in the way consumers consume or businessmen plan? Uh, if they're, uh, to what extent is current GDP reporting? Do you think affecting the way businessmen plan, uh, the yeah. way policymakers make their policies?
5: That's a great question because I do think it does make a difference. First of all, it will change the media's constant perpetuating a, a myth that consumer spending drives the economy because, mm-hmm. uh, yes, it's 70% of the economy, but it's less uh, of GDP, but it's less than 40% of gross output. So once uh, you recognize that while consumption, consumer spending is important, it's not the key ingredient to economic growth. A government Business is the key factor, and so this will affect government policy, but government policy will will tend to uh, look toward business spending as a more important sector in the economy. Uh, and second of all, uh, it's a great way to see what's really happening in the economy. In other words, if you go back to my 2008 example where Nominal GDP fell only 2%. Why did it fall, fall only 2%? Because consumer spending is pretty stable, uh, and government spending is always rising. So the only thing that was falling was this uh, investment uh, sector of the economy. While with gross output, those earlier stages are much more volatile. And so uh, gross output fell like 7 or 8% in 2008. So it's a much better indicator of how bad the economy is or how well it's doing in mm-hmm. either direction. and, and, and two, finally you know, I guess it's yeah, probably a pretty good indicator uh predictor of where we're headed in the economy because if the earlier stages of production start falling off and uh, you know it's kind of like manufacturing data that that comes out every month that's an important leading indicator um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's it's a. I think gross output is a better leading indicator of where, where we're headed in the economy so for all those reasons uh, I do think it will have if it's interpreted properly and if it's highlighted by the media and I'm hoping that uh, Barron's and the Wall Street Journal and others will be in the forefront to promote this then uh, we, we could see a dramatic emphasis on saving and investing rather than that we need to go heavier and heavier into debt for consumer products.
2: Okay, uh, Mark, we have uh, two minutes left. Gene, have you got a quick question for Mark or a okay. quick uh, closing comment well, perhaps by both I'm of you? I'm an
3: ally, so I was just going to add a footnote, and I think it, I think it's worth uh, pointing out. Uh, we've, got, we've gone through periods when, as you may recall, the Bush administration and the Obama administration, they cut a check uh, to the average consumer, and this is supposed to be a big, this is supposed to be a major stimulus. Everybody gets $300 in the mail. Uh, now, but even assuming that everybody spends that money obviously business is not going to be impressed because it's just a one-time shot it says now that's going to be immense for GDP because it'll boost consumption uh, but it clearly will have no effect whatsoever on the actual operations of investment in the economy and so uh, Mark's gross output would point would, would point out would expose the fact that these these one-time stimulus checks that's supposed to make a difference uh, to the economy that go to consumers have very little impact on gross output. And, yeah, so, and, and, so and worse, could could, worse so, is uh,
5: the, this idea that if you don't spend the money, if you save your yeah. check,
3: mm-hmm. that
5: it won't do anything to stimulate the economy. And that's just false as well because mm-hmm. savings actually, you know, a penny saved is not just a penny earned. It's more than a penny earned, to quote our Ben Franklin friends <laughs> how important it is
2: yeah well that 's a good way probably to end this segment and uh, and to thank both of you for coming on. Uh, yeah. I really appreciate Jean, you sticking around with us and uh, and uh, mark also uh, again uh, would like to suggest strongly that people come to the those of you who are in this metropolitan area visit the uh, the Junto this coming thursday uh, and also to go to uh, mark web, uh, to mark's uh, website, which is what again uh, for the For your event, Mark? Freedomfest.com. Freedomfest.com. So, folks, you heard uh, the description of that event. Sounds very exciting. I want to thank both of you for being with us uh, again, and we'll look to do it again sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you, you, Jay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back after the commercial break with a wrap-up on today's show and a word or two about next week's guests. Don't go away. Be right back. As the bull market in gold resumes, gold shares will explode to much higher levels, and those companies that are ramping up production will take off first. Metanor Resources, a symbol MTO in Canada and MEAOF in the U.S., is now in commercial production and producing over 4,500 ounces of gold per month from its bachelor mine in Quebec. With seven drills turning, I look for the company's gold resource to grow dramatically on both its bachelor and berry projects. I believe Metanor now offers major upside potential for savvy investors.
0: Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt.
3: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
1: You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host Jay Taylor with some closing thoughts on today's show. Our discussion between uh, with Gene Epstein and Dr. Mark Skousen. I think uh, Mark is definitely right when you talk about the way to uh, uh, to way to influence people is certainly not through uh, the use of force and uh, and violence and uh, you know trying to out uh, shout your opponent. But rather to try to understand what his thought process is, and to work uh, in in uh, in some sort of a a way of uh, with an open mind to listen, and to express your ideas back and forth in a kinder, gentler way with respect of the other person. And uh, I couldn't help but think when Mark was talking about his way of doing things, uh, the way he likes to uh, create Freedom Fest. Uh, and his approach to uh, to interacting with people with different views uh, was very much along the lines of Ron Paul talked about when he said that government tends to be the divisive force between us because governments uh, will tax one group to give to another they'll regulate one group In favor of another. And it all tends to sort of divide people. But if we can uh, sort of listen to what other people have to say sometimes. Uh, And I think it's very valuable what Mark is doing in terms of providing uh, insights into uh, this Hayek versus Keynes, as he puts it, ideas. Uh, And if you treat people with respect, there's a lot better chance that they'll listen to your ideas than if you just try to, to shout them down. Uh, so, I thought uh, very valuable uh, ideas and, and it 's nice to see that actually, uh, through mark 's kinder, gentler approach, he is getting some making some headway even with government apparently in the accounting and, uh, and people with different ideas that are able to uh, see the virtue in uh, production accounting as well, not just the end consumption accounting and as uh, as mark said he 's proposing not just to get not to get rid of GDP accounting but to use it uh, to have uh, go accounting or um, uh, output accounting to um, complement GDP accounting. And as he suggested, it would have some very direct effects on policies uh, by the government. If the government is seeing the economy more accurately, well, of course, Mark would like to see the government play less of a role, I'm quite sure. Uh, but the fact that they are there, if they are viewing the world only through Keynesian lenses and not seeing the importance of all the production steps until the final produ- uh, production uh, the product hits the markets, then clearly um, that, that's not good. So I think it was a very constructive, uh, I think Mark has some very constructive ideas, and I think also uh, that the Freedom Fest uh, is, sounds like a very good idea. You might want to check that out and also try to come to uh, visit the or attend the uh, Junto meeting. Uh, ben Franklin, we're going to see uh, Ben Franklin in person, uh, apparently a, a little bit of humor mixed in with usually some very serious intellectual uh, discussion. So would uh, really look forward to seeing any of you th- that might come to the show, uh, to uh, the Junto this week, uh, say hello to me. I'm all, I'll expect to be there. I'm almost always there. Always good to uh, meet people that listen to this show who show up as well. Um, I just, as I mentioned in the beginning of today's show, I just returned from uh, the Prospectors and Developers Conference in Toronto, uh, as always, a, a great event, uh, miners from around the world come there, and my talk was about uh, finding the greatest gold deposit for the greatest bull market in history. I explained why I think that we are in the greatest gold bull market in history, notwithstanding the last two years of a cyclical bear within the secular bull that started at two hundred and fifty dollar gold back in two thousand and two. The reason it is the secular bull market of a lifetime is because it is a secu- it is the greatest uh, it is the greatest um, uh, destruction of currency in my lifetime, perhaps in history, uh, since we went off, all the nations went off the gold standard. So we have, uh, I think, a tremendous upside potential relative to paper money in gold. Now, the greatest deposit in uh, in history, well, the Whitwaters Rand is over 1.6 billion ounces of gold. And Quentin Henning was on this show a couple of weeks ago on February 18th to talk about his theory of how the Witwatersrand was laid down and why he thinks he may be on to another Witwatersrand. If so, uh, this could be, I think, uh, one of the biggest stories of the century. And I say that because Witwatersrand has been in production for 130 years. It's produced more gold than all the other gold mines in the history of the world put together. And, uh, and Dr. Henning believes that he could be on to something very substantial, and the early work is looking like he could very well be right. With 30 seconds left, I have to tell you, next week's guest is going to be, uh, uh, we're going to be talking to Richard Duncan. Uh, he's been on this show before. He's written books, Capitalism in Crisis, The Global Economic Crisis, explained how the economy really works. Also, Daniel McAdams is going to be with me as well from the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Uh, I want to thank Casey Trump, my producer and Matt Widener, my engineer, for making the show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you.
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt.